0: We all know that we can't lead if we don't connect. The best leaders not only do this well, but they do it consistently with all kinds of people. On this episode, what we can learn from the best communicators to do better ourselves. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 670. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. It's no accident that the word conversations is in that sentence that I say every week here at the beginning of the show, because conversations are so important for us as leaders connecting with people well. It is such a critical aspect of leadership, and today I am excited to have an expert with us who's going to help us to do this better, to be able to connect with people better, to do it a bit more quickly, and to really look at the human aspect of what we seek in our relationships and how we can lead them more effectively. I'm so pleased to welcome Charles Duhigg. He is a Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative journalist and the author of The Power of Habit and Smarter, Faster, Better. A graduate of Harvard Business School and Yale College, he is a winner of the National Academies of Sciences, National Journalism, and George Polk Awards. He writes for The New Yorker and other publications and is host emeritus of the Slate podcast, How To. He's the author of the new book, Super Communicators, How to Unlock the Secret Language of Connection. Charles, what a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I so enjoyed getting into this book and thinking about how do we connect with people better. And I was really struck by a passage you make reference to in the book about your dad. And I hope you don't mind if I just read this couple of sentences. No. When my father died a few years ago, and I told people I had recently attended his funeral, some of them offered their condolences. But almost nobody asked me any questions. Instead, they quickly moved on to other subjects. The truth was, I was desperate to talk about what I'd been through, about my dad, about the eulogies that had made me so proud and sad, and how it feels to know I won't be able to call him with good news. I read that, and I thought, how many times I've heard stories like that from people on connecting with others. And just so often we just don't know what to say next do we
1: no and and i think that's that's part of the problem is because we don't know what to say next we don't say anything at all or we say my condolences and then we we move on to something else but but yeah. of course the truth of the matter is when you're talking to someone and they've had a loss in their life or when they've had a great joy they just went to their kid's graduation this is some of the most meaningful moments in their lives. And it's and it's this opportunity for us to connect with them. And and we shouldn't let that that fear of saying the wrong thing prevent us from speaking, particularly because if we just ask a question, if they don't if they don't want to engage, they don't have to. And if they do, if it's a question like, you know, tell me what tell me what graduation was like or or tell me about your dad. It's an invitation to the other person to share with you who they really are. And
0: that's where connection comes from. You write, We know that our brains have evolved to crave connections. When we click with someone, our eyes often start to dilate in tandem. Our pulses match, and we feel the same emotions and start to complete each other's sentences within our heads. This is known as neural entrainment, and it feels wonderful. And I was struck reading through your research on how much Evidence and researchers behind this. I mean, one example is the example of guitar players when they're playing in duets. Yeah. Like how 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 much they align. It's really fascinating, isn't it? It it is. It's totally fascinating. And you know, we focus on those physical aspects, but the
1: biggest alignment is what happens inside our brains. That that even during this conversation, as as we're talking to each other and becoming neurally entrained, if we could see our brain activity, what we would see is it's starting to look similar to each other. And if you think about it, that's kind of what communication is. Communication is humans' superpower. It is what has helped Homo sapiens become such a successful species. And it's because I can describe a feeling or I can describe an idea. And simply by, if I tell it to you the right way, you start to experience that feeling or you start to experience that idea. Our brains become similar we begin feeling and thinking the same thing at the same time that's what communication is and and as as you mentioned we have evolved to love the feeling of that think how good you feel after a great conversation it just it releases all these endorphins you just feel fantastic that's because our brains want us to connect with other people
0: yeah and there are definitely people who are better at this right and yeah I, I think that and a, and a bunch of the book is about that and part of the good news is we can all get better at this right absolutely and I I was thinking about the fact that I think our assumptions are sometimes that the the people who are the most talkative and most clever the na- the natural leaders in a conversation, like the people that visibly look that way, are sometimes the people who are best at this. But it turns out that's not really always the case, is it? No, no. In fact, it might be helpful to sort of describe what a super
1: communicator is. Yeah, and sure. And the easiest way to do it is just to say, if you were having a bad day, and, and you knew that there was someone you could call who would make you feel better, does that person pop into your mind? Do you know who that is that you would call to to sort of just make everything seem okay? Yeah. Yeah. A person pops into my mind too, right? Everyone has this person in their life. And for you, that person is a super communicator and, and you're probably a super communicator back to them. Now, there are some people though, who manage to do this more consistently. They can do this with almost anyone. And it's not because they're particularly charismatic. It's not because they're the funniest person you have or the smartest friend it's because they've just thought a little bit more about how communication works. They've they've paid a little bit closer attention to how we interact with each other. And that's all that it takes for us to become a super communicator. They've picked up on things that once the rest of us, once it's pointed out to the rest of us, it becomes obvious. But until it does, it can seem mysterious. Sometimes we want to connect with someone and we don't, we don't know how super communicators know how, and it's just a set of skills
0: that literally anyone can learn. And like you said, they really are gifted at not just doing it with those two or three key people in their lives, but they're really able to do it in lots of different venues, lots of different personalities. What is it that is different about the person who is more like that super communicator who's able to 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 connect well in lots of different venues that that maybe the rest of us aren't so good at. So there's a
1: couple of things. The first is that they recognize that there's different kinds of conversations, and and for me this really was struck out, came home for me when I would have this pattern that I would fall into all the time with my wife, where I would come home from work and I had a tough day, and I would start complaining about my my boss and my coworkers, and and my wife very reasonably would say. Actually there's a solution for this. Why why don't you like take your boss out to lunch and you get, you guys can get to know each other a little bit better. And instead of being able to hear her, I would become even more upset, right? I would say I would say, "Why aren't you supporting me? You're supposed to be on my side. You should be mm. outraged on my behalf." <laughs> and then because I was overreacting, she would get upset and she wouldn't hear what I was saying. And so when I started writing this book, I went to experts and I asked them, "What's going on here? Like why do we keep miscommunicating?" And they said, "Well, most people think that a discussion is made up of one thing, right? That we're discussing a specific topic. But actually each discussion contains multiple different kinds of conversations. And for the most part, all of those conversations fall into one of three buckets. There's practical conversations where we're fixing problems or we're making plans or we're trying to to reason through something. There's emotional conversations where my goal is to tell you how I feel And I don't want you to fix my problem. I want you to empathize with me. Hmm. And then there's social conversations, which is when we talk about how we relate to each other and relate to each other, other people in society. And they said, look, the problem here is if you're not having the same kind of conversation at the same time, you're probably going to miscommunicate with each other. You certainly are going to misconnect. And so when you came home, you were in an emotional mindset, you were having an emotional conversation, and your wife responded with a practical conversation. And both of those are completely valid forms of communication. But because you weren't having the same kind of conversation at the same time, you weren't really connecting with each other. You weren't able to hear each other.
0: One of the things that really struck me in looking at your work is that the super communicators are able to adjust and adapt uh really well in the moment. They see that better and they are able to flex m- yes. more so more consistently than the rest of us. It's really it's a differentiator, isn't it? Absolutely. And and part of it is just paying attention,
1: right? So that you know we mentioned before when you 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 see someone at work and you ask them how was your weekend and they say oh my son graduated or they say something like you know, it, it was kind of a tough weekend. There was some stuff going on. And our instinct is to just go on to like, whatever's on our mind, right? Well, well let's yeah. talk about next year's budget. But super communicators, super communicators take a beat, and it really only takes half, half a minute. And they say, oh, you know, tell me about what the graduate, like, what were you feeling when, you're, when you watched your son walk across the stage and get his diploma? Or, you know, I, I know that it, it sounds like it's, it sounds like it was a tough weekend. I've been there before. If you ever want to talk about it, I'm here. Super communicators recognize what kind of conversation is happening and they match the other person. And again, it's just a set of skills that we can learn to use, but that matching shows them that they want to connect with us. And, And this is what super communicators do really well. Not only do they match other people really well, this is known within psychology as the matching principle, but super communicators show people that they want to connect with them. And knowing that someone wants to connect with us, That makes it so much easier to connect. That makes makes us feel good. What's a way someone shows that, shows that they want to connect? Well, I think there's two techniques in particular that are really powerful. The first is asking questions. And some questions are more powerful than others. So within the psychology literature, these are known as deep questions. And a deep question is something that asks you about your values or your beliefs or your experiences. And, and that can sound kind of daunting, right? Like, it sounds like a big question. But actually, a, a deep question could be as simple as saying to someone, what do you do for a living? And they say, oh, I'm a lawyer. And you say, oh, did you always want to be a lawyer? Do you love practicing the law? Is it is it amazing?
0: Uh... What,
1: when did you decide, what made you decide to go to law school? Those are all three deep questions, and they're easy to ask, but they ask the other person, to describe their experiences, how they decided to go to law school, their beliefs and values that led them to this career, what they value out of this work. And when someone describes that to us, they tell us something important about themselves. And asking the question shows them that we want to understand them. It shows them that we want to connect. Now, there's a second technique that's equally powerful. And this is particularly useful when we're talking to someone in a tense conversation. Maybe there's some conflict, maybe we disagree with each other, maybe it's just a hard chat we have to talk about whether you deserve a raise or your performance review. And what studies show is that there's a technique called looping for understanding that proves to the other person that you really want to hear and understand what they're telling you. And there's three steps to looping for understanding. The first step is you just ask a question, hopefully a deep question if you can you listen to what the person says. And then the second step is you repeat back in your own words what you just heard them say. And then the third step, and this is the one most people usually forget, is you ask them if you got it right. Mm. Now, we've all been in a situation where we've been having a tough conversation. And we know that one of the things that's hard about it is that as you're talking, you're wondering like, is this other person actually listening or are they just waiting their turn to speak? And sometimes when we're listening, it's hard to listen, right? We're we're preparing our rebuttals in our minds, and we're not really paying attention. Looping for understanding is something that allows us to prove to the other person that we are genuinely listening. We genuinely want to understand them. We want to understand them so much that we're actually going to re-say what they said in our own words and, and then ask if we got it right. When we do that, we're showing them that we genuinely want to connect with them, even if we disagree with each other. And that's incredibly powerful because it inspires the other person to listen back as well.
0: Yeah, and to our point earlier, we can get better at it, right? And I was thinking when I started hosting the show, I I would have a really hard time listening in the moment early on because i was thinking yeah. about the next question <laughs> often or <laughs> or i'd written down the next question and it really did take some time and it took some iterations to learn that i could do a better job of listening in the moment but i did get better at it and yeah and i think that's true for almost everyone like if we zero in on some of these things we really can get better and so i'd love to Zero in on some of the things you just said because I think there's so much here that, like, uh, sometimes some little shifts, which may not seem like that big a deal on their face, can really open up some doors for this. And you made the invitation to ask ask a question, right? Especially looping for understanding. And you know, I, I I was thinking about those deeper questions, and that the the point I think is to make an emotional reply easier for someone else. Like maybe they connect deeper than they would have if you had asked a different question. Maybe they don't, but you at least open the door. And I love there's a, in one of the pages of the book, there's a whole chart of questions of how you can take a shallow question and nudge it to be a deeper question. And I think like at first glance, it might seem, well, it doesn't seem like that big a difference, but I love one of them is rather than asking "Where do you live?" the question is, "What do you like about your neighborhood?" and it it invites someone to give more of an emotional response to make that connection, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, and more of a personal response, right? And yeah, and in some ways, it's a matter of instead of asking for facts, asking for perceptions, asking for for opinions. Right? Because it, and it's it's our instinct to ask for facts. Where do you live? Where'd you go to high school? What do you do for a living? But if we just shift those conversations a little bit, you know, what do you love about your neighborhood? What, what was the best part of high school for you? Right? You know, did you always want that job? Or, or is it something that you've always loved? Or did you find it later in life? What those questions are not only inviting is emotionality, but even more, it's inviting someone to answer it authentically right? To, to present some aspect of themselves, to reveal something about themselves. Mm. And particularly when we hear that and we reciprocate that vulnerability, we reciprocate that, that sharing, our brains are hardwired to trust people more when they engage in reciprocal vulnerability. So if we say something real and meaningful and someone replies showing that they've heard us and shares something about themselves, we trust them more it's it's a it's a it's a basically built-in aspect of how our neurology works.
0: Yeah, and that really struck me as a key point that the people who do this really well are reciprocal. It's not just I'm curious about you and I'm asking all of these deep questions, but they also bring themselves into the conversation and I'm I'm wondering Charles like how what you found that people who do this well really do to kind of balance that without making the conversation about themselves? Because we don't yeah. want to go on that side too. Have you right. found a way or 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 seen like, what do people do to kind of bridge that gap well? So I, I think, let's say I say to someone, do you love being a
1: lawyer? And they talk a little bit about how they decided to be a lawyer. And then I say, you know, it's interesting you say that because like the way that I decided to become a journalist, and, and I love being a journalist, is that when I was in business school, I had this experience. Right? So in some respects, when someone answers a question, even if they don't ask that question back, we can answer the same question we asked. And that feels like sharing. Now, the key is, you're exactly right. Sometimes it can not feel like sharing, right? If, if I turn to someone and I say, how was your weekend? And they say, oh, you know, actually, my, um, my, my dad passed away. And I say, oh, I know what that's like. My aunt, my aunt died twelve years ago, and and I totally know what that's like. That's not really sharing, right? That's trying to steal the spotlight for myself to try and make it about me, right? The way to, to the way to share in a situation like that, if someone has revealed something that's that's really deep, is to say, "Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Tell me about your dad, or how are you feeling right now?" That asking another follow up question is a form of emotional reciprocity and vulnerability that showing that we are there to hear them feels as vulnerable as saying something in the first place and a a simple rule for figuring out when this is appropriate is ask yourself did this person tell me something that they enjoyed telling me if so i should tell them something about myself that i enjoy describing Mm. or did they tell me something that was kind of hard and if they did then probably the next best step is just to ask them a question, to give them space
0: to explore and explain who they are. And what's really interesting is the research is pretty clear on this. The people who are practicing reciprocity, who are not just asking questions to the other person and just having more of a, I don't know if interrogation is the right word, but really only focusing on the other person and not sharing some of themselves – they don't connect as well as the people who are no. are good at reciprocity. It's really fascinating and it's kind of counterintuitive. There, there's this story in
1: the book about um this CIA officer who who is gets hired and is sent to go recruit overseas off, uh, overseas spies. And he's just terrible at the job. He's just he, he like literally cannot recruit anyone to save his life. And and the only time he get he becomes successful is when he decides to stop recruiting. He just kind of gives up. And he has an honest conversation with a woman in a, who he's been he's been trying to recruit for months and months and months, and she's told him no again and again. And eventually, he just says like, "This isn't going to happen. Like, I, I'm just going to give up." And he starts ta- telling her about how how scared he is that he's going to get fired because he is just terrible at this job. Like, he wanted this job for so long, and it turns out he's not good at it and it's then when he says something honest and true and vulnerable it's then that she can hear what he's saying for the first time and she says no no i want to work with you we can do this together and she ended up becoming one of the top um assets in the middle east and jim lawler the the cia officer ended up becoming one of the top recruiters in the cia but it it's not about it's not about trying to manipulate someone it's not about trying to to use a tactic, it's rather about learning these skills so that we can be more authentic when we speak to other people because they'll recognize and they'll appreciate
0: that authenticity and they'll they'll respond with authenticity of their own. One of the other pieces of guidance you've given is in that looping for understanding, repeat back in your own words, like after you've asked that deeper question, repeating back what you think you've heard. And I think all of us have been the uh, maybe <laughs> – I don't know, victim's too strong a word, but we've had a conversation with someone else and they sort of parrot back to us. like yes. what they've, like, they've gone through whatever the sales 101 course <laughs> and learned, okay, right. You're, right. you're supposed to say
1: back to the person. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: And it's, it's technically like they hurt you, but it's clear that it's like following a road pattern. And we sort of all know when we hear that. And then on the other side, we have all had the experience too, where someone repeats back in their own words and, and you're like, wow, yeah, yeah, they got it. And and sometimes it's just a matter of taking a beat,
1: right? So if if you describe something to me, and I just, I'm quiet for like two or three seconds, because I've been listening closely, I've been processing what, you, what you've been saying. And I say, look, what I hear you saying, I, I know that we're talking about your kids, but what I hear you saying is, you're really concerned about what's going on with your wife. It sounds like this is... This is bigger than just a problem with your kids. This is a problem with your whole family. Am I getting that right? Do you think that's that's true? Then suddenly that person has given us a gift. They've helped us hear ourself. And you're right. If if we do it in a clumsy way, if we don't actually try and listen to what the person is saying, but we just took that sales 101 class, it's not going to work. But if we just take a minute, if we think before we speak, then we're probably going to find some way to say something that's real And that person's going to know that we want
0: to connect with them. And there's an element there in what you just said of kind of the meta bigger picture. Like if you stop and think about it for a moment, like what is this conversation actually about? Right, Going back to what you said earlier, and it's just like taking that pause helps us to center a little bit on that bigger picture. And if you get the meaning, then the connection is so much more profound. Absolutely, and 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 at the beginning of every conversation,
1: there's what psychologists have started referring to as a quiet negotiation. And the goal of that quiet negotiation is not to win; it's not to not to beat the other person. The goal of the con- the quiet qu- negotiation is to try and figure out what each person wants out of this discussion. And sometimes it can be as simple as saying, like, you know, Jim, why'd you call me in today? What do you want to talk about? <laughs> but sometimes when we bump into someone or we're having a more casual conversation it takes a little bit more effort to figure out not only what they want to talk about what they want and need out of this discussion and what we want to need but also the rules for this conversation right do we interrupt each other is this a is this a formal conversation or a casual conversation can we make jokes and go on tangents or do we need to stay on on topic and so often what people do at the beginning of a conversation is they conduct little experiments, often without realizing it, right? At at the beginning of our conversation, we were interrupting each other more, and then we kind of learned, no, no, we gotta take turns. Yeah. And you know, I've laughed a couple of times and and you've laughed in response, meaning that that we can we can laugh and be casual with each other. Super communicators just pay attention to those experiments. And if, and if one doesn't work, that's okay. They don't see it as a failure or an awkwardness. They see it as a piece of information that they've learned from. Hmm. And figuring out what each of us actually wants from that conversation is really, really valuable. There was actually an experiment that was done where they went into an investment bank. And they this was like a super competitive place. People would like scream at each other all the time. And they asked everyone for a week before each meeting you go into, write down on an index card what one sentence that says what you're hoping to accomplish in this meeting and the mood that you hope to establish. So people would jot down, you know, like, I'm going to go in and I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask everyone to come up with a budget, but I want us to all be on the same the same page. Or I'm going to take Maria out to lunch and I want to ask her, you know, if she wants to go on vacation with me. But I want to make it easy for her to say no because I don't want it to be weird. And what they found is that when people did this, when they just jotted this down, again, it took ten seconds. That most people would just stick the card in their pocket. They wouldn't share what they had written down to other people. But the incidence of fights and shouting and conflict went down eighty percent. Wow. And the reason why is because people knew what they wanted out of this discussion. Sometimes we don't know ourselves. And if we just take a minute before we open our mouth to ask ourselves, why am I about to speak? What do I really want out of this? Suddenly, we'll see what
0: the right thing to say is. Speaking of the right thing to say, you mentioned in the looping for understanding, especially when something may be a little bit more contentious, a final step. That a lot of people miss ask if you got it right
1: yeah what does that sound like oh it can be as simple as saying like you know dave i what i hear you saying is that is that you want us to be able to connect better did, it, it, am i hearing you right did i get that right or sometimes you can even do it at the beginning and they can, you can say look look what i'm hearing you say and, and tell me if i'm getting this wrong is it's really easy and the reason why it's so powerful is because you're asking someone's permission to understand them. And it might be that you don't understand them. It might be that they actually didn't say what they meant clearly enough, and and this helps them understand, no, 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 you almost got it, but there's this thing that you're missing, this thing that's important to me. And this asking permission is really, really valuable, like particularly in tough conversations. There's, there's a question like, how do we transition from an emotional conversation? When I come home from, and I'm complaining to my wife, How do we transition from that to the practical conversation that she wants to have and a simple way to do it is to say look i I hear that you're really upset and and thank you for sharing that with me Do, do you mind if i if i share with you something that i think might help the reason why that's so powerful asking that permission to change the conversation to a different kind of conversation is because it invites the other person to say yes Instead of forcing on you that I want to have a different kind of conversation, it gives me an opportunity to ask you if it's okay to change, and then we'll change together. Then we'll both feel good about it. And just asking that permission, and of course, if you say, do you mind if I share with you this thing, of course they're going to say yes, right? In fact, they're going to appreciate it, and they're going to be ready to
0: hear your practical conversation. They're going to be ready to hear your solution. The key is asking the question, right, rather than just assuming or deciding the permission piece. Yeah. You write this also about deeper questions, and I thought it's such a fascinating point. These kinds of deeper questions can help fight the unfair discrepancies in how men and women, as well as other groups, are allowed to express emotions. We all know that how emotions show up in the workplace, we see gender bias and bias from underrepresented groups all the time and how this shows up. This helps combat that, interestingly, doesn't it? yeah yeah and studies show this it isn't my wife is a is a scientist,
1: and when I was working on this chapter, one of the things she said is she said look i i can I cannot be emotional at work the same way that men can right if and in fact studies show this if a if a man cries at work, he's seen as really caring deeply about this issue about about really putting himself out there. If a woman cries at work, it's seen as a weakness it's seen yep. as' her being too emotional yeah and so Liz asked me, how do, we, how do we be vulnerable at work when we know that there is this difference? And, and what the research says is exactly what you just said, which is when we ask deep questions, we tend to bypass the stereotypes in people's minds, right? So if, if, if someone has been vulnerable with us and as a woman, I say to them, I really want to understand what you're feeling. Like tell me more about what the relationship was like with this person and why it upsets you so much or or what what happened when you were a kid and you you had to deal with a bully like the clients being a bully. How did that make you feel? Like what how did you deal with them? The reason why that question is so powerful is because in doing so we're introducing a safe space for emotional vulnerability without triggering the stereotypes in people's heads. And similarly as a as a male coworker as as an ally when we ask a deep question of one of our colleagues who might be underrepresented minority or might be a woman what we're doing is we're saying to them this is a safe space for you to bring your full self to work i am not going to assume that you are emotional i am not going to assume that you are irrational i instead or that you're defensive Instead, I'm going to ask you a question that invites you to explain to me who you really are, because inevitably what you're going to say is going to confound the stereotypes because you're a real person. You're bigger than just one identity and one label. And the more I hear that, the more we can actually have a conversation with each other.
0: And I think especially if you're the person who is has the title, has power, you leading that is key. Like you oh, starting that, what you just said, being the person who starts to ask the deeper question, being the person who opens the door. And like we said earlier, people may or may not walk through it. That's their choice, right. of course. But creating the space where some of that deeper connection can happen, wow, absolutely. like what a gift.
1: And 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 that doesn't mean there's obviously labor rules, right? Like it, it yeah, doesn't mean if yeah. we're at work I should ask something inappropriate or I should I should pressure my my direct reports to to be personal or be emotional with me. But it does mean that when that direct report signals to me that they have something personal they want to talk about that I I create a safe space for it to happen and I ask them permission to share with me. And that's what's really really important, right? And and the other thing is not everything has to be a conversation, right? Not everything has to be a deep conversation. When when I when I say to my kids, "Look, I want to talk to you. I want to have a discussion about about cleaning your room." I'm not really looking for a discussion about cleaning their room. I'm I'm looking for them to go clean their room, right? right. I'm just being yeah. polite. And so part of this is deciding when we do want a conversation to happen and when we don't. But when we do want it to happen, what super communicators do is they pay attention to the other person. They pay attention to whether this person seems like they're in a practical frame of mind, they don't need to deal with what they're feeling right now or they're in an emotional frame of mind, in which case I need to create space for you to share with me if you choose to. And I should ask a question maybe that gives you the opportunity to do so. And then if you don't if you don't follow through on that, that's okay too. It's really about paying more attention to not only ourselves and how we communicate, to what the other person is telling us.
0: I think that's what's so powerful, especially about the distinctions and the examples in the book about the shallow questions and the deep questions, is almost every situation, in fact, almost every professional situation, there's a way to ask a question that's, yes, transactional, informational, which of course we all do. And then there's also a way to ask the question where it invites a deeper response. And maybe people go there, maybe they don't. But just thinking about the opportunities in daily conversation, just to open the door for that with our colleagues, yeah. with our peers, like what a what a neat place to explore a bit if you've not done that before. And it also signals to them, and and that person, your direct report,
1: they might not be ready to talk about what's on their mind right now, but now they know that you can have that con- that they can have that conversation with you, that you're open to it, and that it won't be awkward and it won't be weird. It, it'll be casual. It'll be easy. You you know, you mentioned one of the things about power differentials. It's interesting. Um, I spent a lot of time at Amazon because I wrote an article for The New Yorker about the company. And one of the rules that they have is that during every meeting, the meeting starts with the most junior person speaking. And then the most senior person does not speak until they speak last. And the reason why they do that is is because the junior person is going to have some interesting ideas, and you don't want them to feel shut down, but they might also say something that's a little bit off or odd, and and you want to create the space for them to experiment with that. You can learn a lot from it, but also they can learn how to communicate better. And I think that that's such a powerful thing, is that what's happening there? is that when Jeff Bezos is in a room and he turns to the most junior employee and he says, "Why don't you share your your thoughts on this new product with us first? He's giving that person permission to be honest, to to say something that everyone that that person recognizes, everyone knows might not be might not be the final answer, but he's giving them permission to bring their full self to work. And that's
0: really powerful. Mm. Charles Duhigg is the author of Super Communicators, How to Unlock the Secret Language of Connection. Charles, thank you so much for your work. Thanks for having me on. If this conversation was helpful to you, several related episodes I'd recommend. One of them is episode 528, where you may be provoking anxiety. Erica Dewan was my guest on that episode. We looked at the reality for many leaders that often it's us that's getting in the way of connecting well because there's something we're doing, sometimes we're conscious of, often not, that's provoking anxiety in our communications with others or in how they perceive us. We did a deep dive on that in episode 528 and looked at some of the things we can do to do a better job of lessening that anxiety that might show up for others. Good compliment to this conversation, of course. I also recommend episode 560, The Way to Get People Talking. Andrew Warner was my guest on that episode. I've known Andrew for 20 years, and we had a conversation about his book on how to interview people well. And while interviewing may not be a core skill of most leaders, although we all do it at least occasionally, the skills from How to Interview Well are the same kinds of skills that often help us to allow other people to say what they need to say. And in Andrew's case, the invitation, what we can do to get people talking, to make them feel comfortable. Interviewers do that all the time. A conversation with Andrew on that episode on how he utilizes those tactics and what he teaches others to do to help get others talking, a key competency for leaders, of course. And then finally, I'd also recommend episode 654, The Way to Help Others Be Seen and Heard. Scott Shigeoka was my guest on that episode, and we talked about the process of curiosity and how to do a better job at being curious. We talk about that on the show often, but how do we actually do it practically what are some of the key things to keep in mind we covered four key principles in that conversation uh, again a good compliment to the invitation today to connect to better Again, episode 654 for that. All of those episodes you can find on the CoachingForLeaders.com website. If you haven't yet, before, I'm inviting you to set up your free membership at CoachingForLeaders.com because it opens up a whole suite of benefits they have access to on the website. We have about 20, 30 people a day who are jumping in these days to register for the first time with free memberships. Welcome, if that's been you in recent days and weeks. And those of you who have, have uncovered several of the key benefits. And one of the things you receive as part of your free membership is a weekly update from me, a weekly guide Uh, that usually comes out later in the week. I have in that guide a little bit about the guest expert that was on this week's episode, also some of the key notes, some of the resources that are mentioned, and I've also been listening all week to what's going on in the world and what are articles and other podcasts and other videos that I think will be helpful for your leadership development. I include that every week in the weekly guide and also usually a snippet from one of our past guests from one of their books. Or writing that I think is something you should come back to and reflect on. Lots of resources in that one message. It's one of the benefits of free membership. So if you'd like to receive that, just go over to coachingforleaders.com, set up your free membership. You'll have access to all of that, and I'll get you up to speed very quickly on what you can do to be able to leverage all of those resources. And if you've had your free membership for a bit, I hope you'll consider coaching for leaders plus one of the changes i've made in the recent past to coaching for leaders plus is previously i was writing a long form monthly article and had sent out some feedback asking for input from our members and folks said hey those are great and love you to do them more often but shorter so we get shorter snippets if you'd like to hear more from me coaching for leaders plus is a great way to do that and as i've been doing that i've gotten such wonderful feedback from all of our members uh, who've been loving getting that short concise message once a week comes in email it's a snippet from me something that i think you should be thinking about that will help you to continue to grow your leadership skills if that's something you're interested in go over to coaching for leaders plus for more details on that and more of the benefits inside of coaching for leaders plus coaching for leaders is edited by andrew kroger production support is provided by Sierra Priest. Next week, I'm glad to welcome Guy Kawasaki to the show. He hosts a podcast as well called Remarkable People, and we're going to be having a conversation on how to recognize remarkable people in our lives and in our work. Join me for that conversation with Guy, and I'll see you back next Monday.